disciples before he ascends to heaven. If you're not a church person, that's okay, but already I might have lost you with the word ascend to heaven, um, which I'll try to clear some of that up. But basically, followers of Jesus believe that Jesus is God and that God sends himself as a vulnerable baby boy into the backwaters of the Roman Empire um, and, and lives a, a sort of a, a, a light, a, an anonymous life for about 30 years. Doesn't really show up on the radar in any significant way. And then he begins his public ministry. And he teaches and he heals and he makes the religious leaders angry and he makes the political authorities angry. And ultimately, Jesus' aim is to die a death for you that you can't die for yourself. He wants to bring you from slavery to sin into freedom. He wants to bring you from death into life. And he knows that you can't pay that penalty on your own. But he knows who he is. And so he knows that if he sacrifices himself, not only will it be sufficient sacrifice for you and for me and for everyone else who ever comes into this building, it will also be a sufficient sacrifice for everyone who was and everyone who is because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ruler of heaven. And, and so Jesus um, provokes the religious leaders, provokes um, the political leaders. They arrest him. They condemn him to death. They crucify him. So he dies in this really gruesome way. Um, it seems like that's the end of the story. But Jesus doesn't stay dead because Jesus really is God. So he's more powerful than even death itself. And three days later, just like he said, even though no one could understand because it was wild to even imagine, Jesus is raised to new life. And he invites the people who would believe in him to also be brought from death to life and from slavery into freedom. And so then he spends 40 days pretty much with those closest to him that he lived his life with that three years before, traveling around Israel. And, and he teaches them, and he shows up in their life. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about this moment in time in Jesus' life and the life of his disciples is he confirms for them a lot of things that he's already told them. I don't know. I, I'm a parent. I have a nine-year-old and a uh, an eight-year-old, and I'm ar- I already feel like I don't need any more new material for the rest of my life. Like, all I have to do is just like remind them of things that I've already told them. Um, I played tennis growing up. My son plays tennis now. That makes me his coach, which is unfortunate for everyone. Um, but I'm giving him these lessons, and I always say to him, I go, "Remember, it's all about your attitude, and it's all about your effort." Every time. That's what I always say to him. And then he'll miss a shot and he'll circle. And I say, if, you, if that's your attitude, that's going to translate into your effort. And then you're not going to play well, even though you say that you want to win. And I've been saying that to the point where I'm even sick of it. You know, like I'm like, why do I keep saying this? But it's true. I mean, for him, the biggest barrier to success in his life on the tennis court is his attitude and his effort. And I haven't figured out which one fuels the other yet, um, but that's my next thing. So that's what I'm studying right now. I'll be back in a year with some data points. Um, But in a lot of ways, that's what Jesus does. He doesn't give the disciples new material. 
Instead, what he wants to do is he wants to help them understand what he has already did and what he has already said, what he has already impacted in the world, and how he has already told them he wants to show up in the future, how he wants them to behave after he has gone. So it's just a, it's a fascinating thing. And today we're going to look at um, one of the coolest stories in this sequence. Um, Jesus uh, has this moment with his disciples, um, and then he, he prepares a meal for them on a beach. And then after the meal with his disciples, he takes one of his disciples aside, a guy named Peter, and he has a special interaction with Peter. And I want to talk mostly today just about that interaction. But in order to talk about this story, I'm going to have to, you know, get back in my time machine and give you a little bit of background here. Because if you don't understand Jesus and Peter's relationship a little bit, then some of the things that Jesus says to Peter won't make sense to you. What's interesting is some of the things that Jesus says to Peter don't seem to make sense to him either. So let me read a little bit of it. It says, In John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. So Jesus hung out with like really big crowds of people. He hung out with 72 people. These were like his favorite numbers. Um, Jesus hung out with 12 people. Peter was one of the 12 Peter. uh, Peter was one of the 12 people that Jesus hung out with. And then Jesus also kind of grabbed a smaller group of three, and Peter was even in the smaller group. One of the things that Peter is the most famous for is that when people start to wonder about who Jesus might be, Jesus asks his disciples. And his disciples say, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're a teacher. And then Jesus says, but what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the saving one. You are the son of God. You're the one that has been promised. We believe that. So Peter's the spokesperson. He's bold. He's even brash. That's who he is. And so it's not really a huge surprise that Jesus would have this conversation and he would say, do you love me more than them? It's kind of like a reverse, you know, your, parent, your kids ask you this. Do you love me more than the younger brother? Well, sweetie, you know I love you. Um, <laughs> but so like oh, the reverse of that, right? But that makes sense the more you understand about Peter. It goes on in verse 16 and it says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The text says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. We believe that the Bible is the word of God. That the, that the Spirit of God protects his word and brings it to us so that we can know God's love and be transformed by God. One of the things that I think is so amazing about this particular passage of Scripture is that we have Peter saying, I, I'm hurt by what has just happened. 
Peter didn't write this story down. A guy named John wrote this story down, another one of Jesus' disciples. So the only way we really know that this story took place is that years later, Peter is telling it to John. I mean, think about that for a moment. He says, you know what? You know, remember after lunch that one day when Jesus told us to throw our nets on a different side of the water and we got all those fish? And they're like, yeah, that was an amazing day, wasn't it? He goes, I had the weirdest interaction with Jesus. He took me aside and he asked me if I loved him or not. And I said, yeah, you know I love you. And he's like, do you love me more than everybody else? And I was like, of course I love you more than everybody else. And John's probably rolling his eyes at him like classic Peter showing off to Jesus. And then he goes, but, but then he goes a third time. He asked me a third time, John, can you believe that? Why would he ask me a third time? And then all of a sudden, something probably clicks in Peter's heart, his mind, and his imagination. Because what he realized is that Jesus was giving him a gift. And the gift is this. When we abandon God, God doesn't abandon us. See, Peter is famous for being brash and bold. Peter is famous for confidently declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. But perhaps what Peter is the most famous for is uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, Jesus and his disciples are in an upper room and they're celebrating um, the Passover. Uh, Jesus is kind of modifying the Passover into something that we call the Lord's Supper or communion and that we participate in on a regular basis, pretty much all Christians do all over the world. And one of the things that happens at a meal is, is people talk, right? And in one of the conversations that comes up is Jesus, again, alludes to his own death. He says, he says I'm, going to, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And his disciples don't really want to believe this. But what Peter believes, I think because he's brash and, and bold, even maybe arrogant and a little prideful, is he believes that he can go wherever Jesus goes. He believes that by comparison, some of the other people won't. Um, and I have a little bit of Peter-level confidence in myself compared to other people, so I can relate to that. Um, but he looks and he says, you know what, Jesus? I agree with you that some of these clowns are not going to be able to hack it, okay? If you want the list, I have it in my pocket. But he's, he says to him, you know, you're right, but not about me, Jesus. I can go where you're going. And Jesus looks at him, and he says to him, I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you are going to deny me three different times. On three different occasions, you are going to abandon me. And that's exactly what happens. And it happens in these incredibly embarrassing ways. Another thing I would say is like one reason, there are tons of reasons why I believe that the Bible is true and that it's God's true story that brings me from death to life and and from slavery to sin into freedom. But one of the things that that is especially true for me in this example is like the, the Bible is interested in God's story coming through the text. It's not interested in Peter looking good, right? Because the only way we have the stories of Peter embarrassingly denying Jesus to a young child around a fire is because Peter told us. Peter isn't so proud of himself. He's not so concerned with protecting his identity and his reputation 
that he's not going to tell us this story. Why? Because when we know this story, we know God's great love. When we know the story of Peter's failure and God's warm embrace, we know that even when we abandon God, God doesn't abandon us. If I'm Peter, I might edit this whole section out of my narrative, right? Because it makes me look bad. But it makes God look so, so good. And that's what Peter cares about. So Peter says, yeah, what happened is exactly what Jesus said would happen. I denied him once. Then I was around a fire. And this little girl asked me if I was, she she thought that I was one of Jesus' followers. And I was like, no, no, no. I don't even know him. And then because of the way that I looked and because of the way that I talked, people are like, you're a Galilean. You're not from Jerusalem. Jesus is from Galilee. There are all these guys from Galilee right now who are with Jesus. You're one of those guys. He's in that palace. He's in that prison. And you're out here. You're one of his disciples. And he curses them. He says, that is not me. And then he hears the rooster crow. The night has ended. Dawn has come. And to his heartbreaking agony, it's exactly as Jesus said that it would be. But then what happens? Jesus dies, which has got to just, I mean, if think about, this is Peter's last interaction with Jesus. Is Jesus saying to him, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm going, no, there's no way I'll do that. Maybe Thomas, but not me. And, and that's exactly what happens. And so all the way through the burial of Jesus, it's just got to be crushing. The confusion around Jesus' empty tomb, has got, it's got to be anxiety-producing for everyone, but maybe especially for Peter. And then he sees Jesus. And he's got to wonder, who am I now to you, Lord? Who am I now to you after I have abandoned you? After I said I could walk where you would walk and go where you would go, who am I to you now that I've let you down? And that one, that one morning after breakfast, Jesus takes him aside and says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then he asks him a third time, do you love me? Peter's initial reaction is to become hurt because Jesus would ask him again and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him each time, feed my sheep. I don't know when it clicks for Peter, but at some point in his life, all of these pieces fall into place and these two critical stories in his life come alongside him. And he realizes, even though I have abandoned God, God hasn't abandoned me. Even though I have disqualified myself, the life, death, and resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has not disqualified me. Jesus has done for me what I cannot do for myself. And so even when I abandon God, God doesn't abandon me. I've done this sermon a a bunch of times now. Um, That's one of the fun things about the network. It's not like a vacation to get to repeat the sermon. Um, But it is a little less work on the front end. 
And uh, one thing that, that happened to me the last time that I was doing it um, is that is I, I realized um, the people that I would really want to be hearing this sermon are not here. Because they believe that they've abandoned God and God has abandoned them, right? That's the reality. If, if, you, if you feel like you have abandoned God, then you believe that you should get what you deserve. And what you deserve if you abandon God is that God would abandon you. You bail on me, I'll bail on you. That's what we would do as human beings. You don't come through for me, I won't come through for you. But the reality is, and a lot of us in this room know this and are shaped by this, even though we let God down, even though we fail, even though we don't measure up, when we abandon God, God doesn't abandon us. This is not the most complicated sermon you've ever heard. You might have heard this almost identical sermon when you were 5, 15, 25, 55. It's not, it's not novel, right? But what if you took it and you said, I could do that. I could tell Peter's story to somebody else. And I could say to them, hey, you know what? Even when we abandon God, God doesn't abandon us. Even when we literally bail on God, even when we tell God that we don't even know him, God doesn't do that to us. It's incredible. The people in your life that need to hear this the most will never come here until you have convinced them through what you do and with what you say that even though they have abandoned God, God hasn't abandoned them. You have the very words of life and you have the opportunity to share that with them. But the reality is also, even if you were, say, like a pastor, like I am, you would look at your own life and the circumstances of your existence and you'd say, I have done some things. And I just wonder, I wonder about how I measure up before God. I wonder what God thinks of me now. I wonder what God thinks of me now. I mean, I know that he forgave me when I was whatever years old. But now, after what I just did, after what I've been up to for so long, and what I want to say to you is that what we see in the Bible is that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. But what, what the book of Romans tells us is that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is ours through Jesus Christ. What we see with Jesus and Peter on that beach 2,000 years ago is Jesus making sure that Peter knows, yeah, you all like sheep have gone astray. But there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from my love. And when you know that, God invites you to live out the reality of that knowing, right? He invites you to be shaped by his love in a way where you show up in the world differently. And that's got to be the best feeling for Peter, right? I want to empower you. I want to bring you back. I want to cut you loose for my glory and for your joy. And so Jesus says to him, if you love me, you're going to demonstrate that by obedience to my call and by service to my people. If you love Jesus, we have an opportunity to demonstrate it. 
Now, we don't have an opportunity to earn it. Dallas Willard says that grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to efforting. God loves it when we try hard. God just doesn't like it when we try hard to earn his love, right? I love to watch my kids do their stuff, but I would hate to watch them do anything at all if they thought that they needed to do it in order to be loved by me. And God is a way better father than I am. So, so Jesus brings Peter back, and he says, even though you've abandoned me, I haven't abandoned you. And then he says to him, I've fully restored you. You're not on the JV team here. I've, I've brought you back all the way. I need to empower you. I need you to know my love. I need you to be a leader who shapes the future of my church for thousands and thousands of years. When the Holy Spirit breaks out in Jerusalem among the disciples, Peter is the one who grabs the proverbial mic and explains to the people what is happening. Peter is not on the JV team. Peter is not on probation. Instead, when we abandon God, God doesn't abandon us. And and, and just the opposite. He loves us and graces us back to better than we were before. So that we can join him in his mission. And for Peter, that means obedience to his call and service to his people. If you have been caught up in God's great love for you, if you are someone who knows that God loves you and has empowered you, then that's you too. God wants to say to you, I want to invite you, I want to challenge you into obedience to my specific call in your life, to my general call in the world. And I want to challenge you and I want to invite you to serve my people. I mean, that's really, I mean, that's the pinprick of Compassion Sunday, right? That's the moment where it's like, oh, yeah, I have an opportunity to obey God's call, the general call and the specific call. I have an opportunity to serve other people. And really what it is, is I have an opportunity to be like Jesus. I have an opportunity to know that I am deeply, deeply loved by God and then to live that out in the world. But I also think for all of us, we're going to run across Peter at his worst, right? We're going to come across people in our lives who have a relationship to church that's gotten messy because of things that they've done. And because of that, they have a relationship with Jesus that's gotten messy because of things that they've done. And, and then, and then it, after it got messy, it got dormant. And now people all over our lives are believing lies about themselves. They're believing lies about God. They're believing lies about their future. And we have an opportunity to tell this story to them. To say, you know what, one of the weirdest things in the Bible? This guy, he sort of like lays all his failures out for his friends brings up the worst things that he's done in his life. Because in those moments of brokenness, in those moments of weakness, in those moments of failure, God's love shows up the biggest. Because even when we abandon God, God doesn't 
abandon us. And I think God wants to empower me with that message. I think that God wants to empower you with that message and this simple story to reach deep into the heart and then long into the future of the people that God has put in our lives to serve and say, would, would you share my story with these people? Because the, this world that I love, this world that I would die for, has it just completely, completely backwards. They think that they have to earn something that they could never earn on their own. And they think that what I would do and how far I would go can just be lost in a moment. And the reality is that God's great love for us is strong. It's persistent. And we see that in the way that Jesus patiently and thoroughly restores Peter. I want to invite the band to come out. We're going to end our, our, our service today in a time of singing. Um, but the last thing I'll say is, if you are here in this room and you are feeling that way, it is a miracle of God's grace that you've come here. And I'm so excited that you walked through these doors and that you came to this place that probably as a church reminds you of the ways in which you've abandoned God. And if that's you, what I want to say to you is God loves you. Even if you feel like, you know what, fine, maybe that's true for Peter, maybe that's true for you, Drew. But even if you abandon God, God doesn't abandon you. But I got to tell you, he has abandoned me. I, I'm here to, to rebut that and to say to you that the God of heaven, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords would die for you because he loves you. And that even after that, if you've abandoned him, he hasn't abandoned you. And he's calling you home through his people who are being obedient to his call and obedient to the opportunity to serve. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for dying so that we can live. Thank you, God, that even when we don't measure up, even when we sort of go out of our way to let you down, you go out of your way again and again and again to continue to love us and to serve us and to sacrifice for us and to bring us back. God, we are back. We are here in your presence. We are your people, and we worship you because of your great love for us. Amen.